Well, good morning. It's been a while since you've seen me up here, but I'm looking forward to bringing the word to you this morning. Well, as you should know by now, we are in a series, and today is the last sermon in the series, All Things New. And, you know, it's just been wonderful to sit with you and to hear some of these gifted preachers in our congregation who have been part of our congregation like Jim Candy in the past, and to hear how God uh, brings the word through each of these different uniquely gifted people. Uh, Last Sunday, I really enjoyed, Carl brought a message about the glories of the new creation, and there was a specific piece of good news in his sermon that uh, I want to talk about. He said, all dogs go to heaven, or something like that, right? Um, So there's my dog, and I am excited, Carl, and I think you did sound exegetical work to get to that conclusion, so I'm really excited. I do have one practical question. What are we going to do with the first dog that we had? They are going to not get along. I just know it. Now, maybe something happens when we get to heaven with dogs, but I don't know. Well, anyway, that, uh, that was just for fun at the beginning. It has nothing to do with today's sermon. <laughs> so our sermon today, uh, oh, yeah, this the dog is such a very small word for something that takes up so much room in your heart. Okay, let's get on with the, the text this morning. Our text from Luke 5 comes in a very specific context. It's the middle section uh, as Luke gets underway uh, in the uh, talking about showing Jesus encountering a variety of people. And it's in the middle section of five encounters where Jesus acts in a new way to meet a new situation. In every one of them, he is being resisted by the Pharisees and the scribes. And it starts with them just being annoyed, but by the end, they are, quote, filled with fury. So let's uh, let's understand why is that. Jesus was like the Pharisees. He had the same basic theology. He was a, a disciple of Moses, just like them. Uh, Jesus is the one who fulfills the ancient promises of God. He's the new Moses. His whole family were not law breakers, but law keepers. Circumcising their sons, sacrificing and participating in Israel's feasts. Jesus did not come to tear down the traditions that Israel had kept for centuries. And yet he is doing a new thing a new thing rooted in an old thing. Jesus is the king, the Messiah, who came to bring people back to God. But in this section of Luke, there is a controversy because of a question about fasting. But by the end of the account, we'll see that the real issue isn't fasting. It's about how Jesus' kingdom changes the way we live individually and the way we live our lives together. So let's read this text. They said to him, 
John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch up an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. So one day Jesus was at a great feast. He had a problem. He liked parties. He was not somber like the Pharisees. And this feast was thrown in Jesus' honor by Levi, the tax collector who had been working for the oppressive Roman Empire. And when he met Jesus, he changed his life completely. He had radically altered his life to follow Jesus. But the problem with the religious people is that they say Jesus is hanging around people with bad reputations. And they say that Jesus and his followers are feasting not fasting, which is what religious people, scribes and Pharisees, and even John the Baptist's disciples did. So what, what, is, what is this all about? We need a little more information about fasting to understand. Fasting is what believers in first century Judaism did to bring their body into sync with unpleasant or difficult realities. You don't feast when everything is wrong. This is a good time to be fasting, isn't it? With our world engaged in a war not of our choosing, and certainly not of the choosing of the Ukrainians. Fasting can be a very good thing. It can bring our bodies into sync with unpleasant and difficult realities. Maybe sin has come into our life and we are fasting as part of our repentance. Or sin has come into our community and we are fasting and praying for healing. It's not time to eat a gourmet meal in those cases. It's time to fast and pray. Or maybe somebody in your life has come down with a critical illness. Or you're about to begin a difficult task as you seek to be faithful to Jesus. Or a new stage in life Fasting makes our bodies feel weak and humble. And we realize that we don't control anything. And we need God to come. And in Jesus' day, Jewish people, faithful people, fasted for many reasons. They fasted because of the nation's sins, because of God's lack of presence, and because they were waiting for God to fulfill the promises of the prophets. 400 years of waiting. 
In fact, just three chapters earlier in Luke, we are introduced to a wonderful older saint named Anna. Let's see if we can get her up on the screen. There she is. She was a prophetess and had been a widow for decades. And she stayed in the temple day and night, worshiping with fasting and prayer, anxiously awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. Some people today might see Anna as someone who is wasting her life, but she didn't think so. She was praying and fasting, and she was there when God answered her prayer. When Jesus arrived, the baby Jesus, the hope of Jerusalem and the world. And so Anna burst into praise and gave thanks to God and spoke about Jesus to everyone that she could find. Now fast forward 30 years. It's time for the God of Israel, the bridegroom, to make himself more fully known and to begin his public ministry. Now remember, this is Jesus, the man from Nazareth, which is, another word for Nazareth is Nowheresville. But he shows up and he heals a lame man. He forgives his sin. He feasts with repented sinners. He plucks grain. He heals on the Sabbath. And then he encounters the Pharisees. These are the men who fast twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And Jesus isn't fasting. In fact, eight times just in Luke's gospel, Jesus is at a feast, a meal. So the Pharisees are correct in their, they're very observant. Why aren't you fasting, they ask him. And Jesus, like he often does, answers the question with a question. Can you make the wedding guests fast while, while the bridegroom is with them? Now, I've officiated at a lot of weddings, and I've attended a lot of weddings. I've seen some really crazy things happen at weddings. Uh, I'll just give you one example. The time when the bridesmaid, the sister of the bride, took 45 minutes to get dressed while the bride stood there in the back of the sanctuary waiting for her younger sister. I mean, we all just were appalled on her behalf. But one thing has never happened at a wedding that I've been to. I have never seen anyone being told to stay away from the food and the wine. <laughs> Weddings are the time to rejoice and feast with the bridegroom. So that's what Jesus points out, the obvious. And he doesn't even have to say it. He just asks a really good question. But when he asks the question, he is also making a massive claim that God, the bridegroom of Israel, the one who had brought judgment on his people, was back in the person of Jesus. It wasn't a time to fast and mourn. He was right there in front of them. The answer to their fasting and prayers that Anna saw so clearly was right there. A time to rejoice what was, is what was needed. Now Jesus is very uh, wise. He knows that his question is not enough, so he has two humdinger parables to throw at them to make the same point. The first one 
is this one of illustrated by the slide. No one sews an old piece of cloth on a new piece of clothing. Now, when I was a kid, you know, we had real cotton clothing that wasn't pre-shrunk. They didn't pre-shrink things. So this made a lot more sense back then. If you put a patch, even if it looked cool, and you know, in the 60s and 70s, it looked cool, right? But even if it looked cool, it was a dumb idea because as soon as you put it in the washer, it would pull as it shrunk and it would rip the thread and it would look really terrible. And Jesus is simply saying that. It, it, it's ridiculous. You never do that. You don't want to ruin the new clothes. You, want, you don't mix new and old. And then Jesus tells a second parable. A parable of the wine and the wineskins. Now, the Jews usually stored wine in something like this, in a, wine, in a goat skin or a lamb skin. And as the grape juice fermented, the skin would stretch and expand. And no one in that first century culture would ever think about storing new wine in old wineskins. The old brittle fibers of the old skin wouldn't be able to handle the expansion from the gases that escaped as the wine fermented. It would burst and you'd lose the wine and the wineskin. New wine has to be in new wineskins. And I've actually got, thanks to Christine Brockett, an old wineskin for you. So let's see how this works. We're, we didn't use wine because, you know, lots of reasons, let's just say. So let's pour some water to, as a substitute and see what happens. This is the old wineskin. You can see, oh my gosh, look at that. I better put it in the bucket because it's making a mess. You can see what's happening. It doesn't work. It's an old wineskin. Okay. You need a brand new wineskin. That's the point. It's so obvious. And that's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus arrives on the scene, the Messiah, it's new cloth, it's new wine. You don't put new into what is old. They don't match. You lose the old and the new. When Jesus enters our lives, we face a totally new situation. And it demands a new attitude and new practices. And what was happening with the Pharisees is they were hanging on to their old religious rituals. And they were prevented from experiencing the new reality that they could be enjoying. The bridegroom is here. Come to the feast. A foretaste of the feast that we will have when we sit at the table of God in the new heavens and the new earth. Fasting in the presence of Jesus is like fasting at a wedding. It's like ripping up a new, clo new clothes to repair with, with the old cloth and like putting new wine in old wineskins. Now, it's a great parable, but it tells us a lot about human natures. We don't like change. The people who attended worship and listened to sermons in Jesus' day were perfectly happy with their old wine. They had no desire for new wine. 
They fasted and prayed and they wanted God to come, but they liked their rituals. And admittedly, old wine tastes a lot better than new wine. You all know that if you've had some really good Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, 1957. <laughs> my dad gave me a bottle of that because I was born in 1957 on my 21st birthday. He was a great guy. Oh, what a great dad. <laughs> so you don't, new wine doesn't taste as good. So maybe that's why. I don't know. But we need to hear the message of Jesus. We need to look at ourselves and say, why am I acting like the Pharisees? They're the bad guys in this story. Ritual is not what Jesus is looking for. It's relationship. When Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom, he rose from the dead. He sent his Holy Spirit to infuse us with the new life and energy of God's kingdom. A kingdom and a spirit that gives us fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. God's spirit has put the truth of God in our minds and our mouths through the preaching of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus died to ransom us from religious rituals that keep us from the relationship that God wants to have with us. But we live in the mixed reality of the now, but not yet. The Lamb has conquered and reigns on the throne, and that is a cause to rejoice as we do every Sunday in worship. But the kingdom of this world has not yet fully become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Everything is not all right in the world. There is injustice and death and impurity. There is rejection of the true king and creator of the world. There are actual wars and rumors of wars. And so it is appropriate to take time to fast and pray and also time to rejoice. Let's not be stuck on old wine or old habits. Let's consider how we spend our time, what the aim of our lives are. What are our rituals? What do we do when we wake up? How do we spend our evenings? There's three possibilities. Our ritual is a complete lack of ritual. No plan, who cares? That is, a lot of people live that way. No ritual at all. Or we've purposely ordered our lives with rituals and habits that take little thought of the place, of our place in God's kingdom. Or three, we have purposely ordered our lives with rituals and habits that help us deepen our relationship with God. Be growing disciples of Jesus Christ as priests of God's coming kingdom. I'm really praying that on Ash Wednesday, we will fill the chapel at both services. That is a great ritual to help us begin the 40 days of Lent. So if you've never come to an Ash Wednesday service, it is a remarkable time that can lead you into a deeper place in your relationship with God. Rituals are not bad. It's when they prevent us 
from being close to the one who created us. And there's many people in our world that could care less about our new wine because they've got their old wine too and their old life and they don't like change either. Don't let their rejection discourage you. Don't give up on them. There's a lot of people out there who realize that the old wine that they've adopted isn't cutting it. And they would reorder their lives to taste something life-giving like the wine that Jesus brings. But if we're going to get in a position to help people make that transition, we've got to invite them into a life that is actually new. People today are selling old wine marked with a new wine label, and, and the world is exhausted with the fakes and the frauds. We can't just invite them to buy the label. We have to show them how to put on the new clothes and drink new wine in their wineskins. We need to invite them into a community of disciples that read their Bibles more than their phones and TVs. People who love the truth, who worship God with all their hearts, who aren't selfish, who rejoice with those who rejoice and suffer with those who suffer, who share with the poor, who visit the hurting, and who have one another in their homes to support, encourage, and pray. We need to show the world that we have a real concrete hope that speaks into the darkest places of our world. That's the gospel of new wine. Our old wineskins have probably burst. We need new wineskins, new practices that match our identity as a royal priesthood, as courageous followers of Jesus witnessing to the truth. And we live in a perfect time, Grace Commons, for new wineskins. Our lives have been upended over the past two years, and so has this church. This is a unique opportunity to step back and say some of these old clothes we're wearing have never matched where we are in history, what the missional situation of this community that we live in is, and, what God, and who God has made us to be. Grace Commons is moving forward to carry out our mission to build a flourishing church that makes disciples of Jesus Christ here in Boulder and beyond. We're discerning God's plan for the future of Grace Commons together. And that comes in all different ways. So pray for our elders and our staff as we seek to discern with you new ways of being faithful, new ways of being faithful and finding new wineskins to hold the new wine of the gospel. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus who just radically changes our perspective on life, on everything. Thank you that he has saved us and given us new purpose, new wine. And Lord, help us to be people of faith that seek to find faithful ways in continuity with the old to bring new life 
to our structures and our ways of being church in 2022. Lord, we want to see all things new. We want to see the beauty of that promise realized in our midst. And through us, Lord, would you bring people into this body who come to faith and who grow as your disciples and who challenge us by what they see to grow too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.